bring um, the message to you this morning, and it's actually a sister preach to the one that Matt did last week. We're doing two weeks in Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah. So if you've got a Bible on your lap, now's the time to turn to Jeremiah. We're going to be working our way through it as the morning progresses. Now, one thing that Matt reminded us of last week was the fact that by word count, Jeremiah is the uh, longest book in the Bible. And Matt encouraged us to read it in one big long go uh, over the next couple of weeks because it's the best way to try and understand the big picture of the story. The reason being because the book's written uh, not chronologically but thematically and so it's helpful to get that big view. I actually did that this week and it took me so long that I also managed to realize that if I was to stand up here today and start at Jeremiah 1 and read through to Jeremiah 52, it would take me nine sermons just to read it to you. So how do we, in two weeks in Jeremiah, give you all of the information of the book when it would take me nine sermons just to read the thing cover to cover out to you? Well, to give you that answer, I want to share with you something that I shared a couple of weeks ago. Last time I was preaching, we talked about our House for My Name series, and that it was really, really helpful in giving us this big overview of what the Bible as a whole is saying. And I use this example of this really beautiful view here, which is out on the road out towards Studland. And if you've ever been there, uh, it's normally the place where my family has an argument because that's the ice cream van's always there. And uh, we always argue about whether we can stop and get an ice cream or not. But you get out and you look and you look over this beautiful view and we love where we live, and we love exploring the nature reserves, and we love exploring the beaches, and we love exploring the forests, but sometimes it's really helpful to get out of your car and look at the whole big thing and just realize the big picture beauty of the place that we live. And that's what we're hoping we're doing through this House for My Name series. We want to give you that big picture overview of the Bible so that when we go week by week into the text more thematically, you can see the beauty that's within because we know what's going on in the big picture. So that's what we're doing here. And that's what Matt and I are doing in Jeremiah in two weeks, even though it's a big uh, book with lots and lots within it. So looking at that big picture, we're in a period of Israel's history where there are kings who are appointed to rule over the people, and there are prophets who speak God's word to the people. And the kings are largely, in this period of history, doing a pretty horrible job at ruling the people. They're not pointing them towards God, and they're leading the people into compromise and away from living faithfully the way that God had commanded them to. And so prophets, and in this case, the prophet Jeremiah, they're needed to tell people what God's saying. And most often, that takes the form of warnings. And they're uh, warned about their lack of worship of God and the wrongdoing that they're committing and the fact that they're worshiping the gods around them and they're not worshiping God. And these prophets come and they're continually calling them, come back to God, come back to the God who loves you. Also, as a reminder, in this period of Israel's history, Israel's actually split into two. So you've got Israel with 10 tribes in the north and Judah with two tribes in the south. Israel has a capital, Samaria, and has been captured by the nations around them because they didn't follow God. So all that remains is Judah and those two tribes in the south and its capital, Jerusalem. And when we reach Jeremiah in our Bibles, we're really into the last days of Judah. And Jeremiah's warnings to Judah throughout the, work, uh, throughout the book are basically preparing them that God will allow what happened to Israel happen to them as well, that they're going to be handed over to their sin because they've not followed God. Uh, it's these kind of last days of Judah that, that we're looking at. And so last week, when we looked at Jeremiah, Matt gave us the overview, telling us that the book spans 40 years of Jeremiah's ministry, that as well as being a uh, prophet, Jeremiah was a priest, and that he was ministering in a period of history that, to be perfectly frank, you wouldn't choose to go to. Um, so things aren't particularly going well 
at this period of history. It's not the sort of place that you'd want to be. And we got given this sense that history was repeating itself. These people who lived uh, in Israel and in Judah time and time again were becoming corrupt and coming under God's judgment, and they still weren't listening. And then you have these brief glimpses where they come back to God and remember all that God's done for them. And then you turn the page and all of a sudden they've forgotten again. And you just want to say, what are you doing? Just remember. See, because God can't dwell with corruption, his judgment was coming again. And that's what we read when we go through the book of Jeremiah. And even though this period of history isn't the place to go if you want to live your best life, Jeremiah was still faithful in ministering there. And there was an encouragement to us last week to do the same, to be faithful to what God has called us to in spite of the hardships of life that inevitably will come our way. And we can all attest to those. Because God's faithful, because God's good, and because we know that we're called to something bigger than our own comfort. We know, don't we, that this world, that this life, the stuff that we see on the news, uh, it's not how it's supposed to be. And Matt helps us to see how we can live faithful lives with God and for God in this context. And how that actually often calls for us to be courageous in how we live our lives and invest in the future and believe in all that God has for us. So that was the big theme that we took through Jeremiah last week. I want to bring another big theme to you this week as well. And another one of the book's big themes is the seriousness of sin. And at this point, you might be thinking, well, I mean, it's a sunny weekend. I mean, we're heading into a jubilee. this really isn't the time to be putting everybody on a downer before sending you out to your week off or to the Jubilee parties or whatever. But actually, I really do believe that God's got an awful lot to say to us through this book this morning. And I've actually felt this this morning's message is really important for us to hear as Gateway Church today. And actually understood properly these warnings and uh, this period of history uh, within it, there's actually a real story of hope. And I hope to be able to share that with you as well. So we're going to jump into Jeremiah and we're going to see how the story helps us to understand God's will for our own lives. And by way of example, I want to jump in at Jeremiah 13, so you can turn there. It's uh, up on the screen behind me as well, though it's far too small, so you can test your eyesight at the same time. And we're going to read through one of the stories that acts as a bit of a metaphor for uh, what's about to happen to Judah. So Jeremiah 13, starting in verse 1, it says this, This is what the Lord said to me. Go and buy a linen belt and put it around your waist. Do not let it touch water. So I bought a belt as the Lord directed and I put it around my waist. Then the word of the Lord came to me a second time. Take the belt you bought and are wearing around your waist and now go to Perith and hide it in a crevice in the rocks. So I went and hid it in Perith as the Lord told me. Many days later, the Lord said to me, now go to Perith and get the belt I told you to hide there. So I went to Perith and I dug up the belt and I took, uh, took it from the place where it, I'd hidden it, but it was now ruined and it was completely useless. Then the word of the Lord came to me. This is what the Lord says. In the same way, I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. These wicked people who refuse to listen to my words, who follow the stubbornness of their hearts and go after other gods to serve and worship them, they'll be like this belt, completely useless. Ouch. For as the belt is bound bound around the waist, so I bound all the people of Israel and all the people of Judah to me, declares the Lord, to be my people for my renown and praise and honor, but they've not listened. And there's the problem, they've not listened. Imagine being in this moment here, Jeremiah speaks, and what you get told is, you are completely useless. As useless as this soiled belt that is worth nothing and no good for anyone that's you. Ouch, it's bad, isn't it? They've not listened. 
It's been a long time coming, and finally God is handing them over to their own folly, and it's now, it's too late. It's too late. I'll ruin the pride of Judah. They're about to be handed over to their sin, and it's a stark metaphor for Judah. And we can read Jeremiah here, and we can wonder what's happening. Why is God forsaking his people? Why, why is he not saving them? I don't get it. But the reality is that these people rejected God a long time before he allowed them to be handed over to the rejection that they were living in. There was warning, and there was warning, and there was walking, warning, but, as we were told, they've not listened. And so finally, they're getting exactly what they deserve. And it's a, sta- it's a really sad state of affairs. God's wanting a people to be with him, a people who were saved and rescued by him, a people who have stories to tell of great victories in God. And we've been going through this A House for My Name series. We've started in Genesis, and we've been reading about those victories, taking them out, uh, uh, out of Egypt through parted waters, eventually into promised land. There were victories in God's name. It's in their bones. It's in their blood. And yet, they're forgetting it time and time again. God's favor has been on these people, and these people don't listen. They were a people made to give God renown and praise and honor, and yet at every step, they've chosen the gods around them instead. They've chosen what's easy instead of what's right. And so God gives them what their hearts desire. Jeremiah comes to warn them that what's happened to Israel is now going to happen to them too. They've compromised with the people around them, and their compromise will now lead to their ruin. They're useless. But uh, so they're, they're kind of as ruined as this belt is in this, in this metaphor, in this, in this story that uh, we're told about in Jeremiah 13. And we can keep reading through Jeremiah and find out what God means when he says that he's going to bring ruin to them. Jeremiah 25, for instance, if you want to flick further forward, it's slightly more readable behind me there. Therefore, starting in verse 8, therefore the Lord Almighty says this, because you've not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I'll completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I'll banish them from them, the sound of joy and gladness, the voices of bride and bridegroom, the sound of millstones and the light of the lamp. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. They're being told exactly what's going to happen to them. They're going to, Babylon is going to be raised up against them. This is the result of their compromise into sin, into worshipping false gods and not following God's way. God's going to raise up another nation, Babylon, against them. And Jeremiah is warning the people about a 70-year exile. So you've, you've, as, as a, you're in your history, you've come through exile and into a promised land, and now you're about to be taken back out into ex- exile again. This is God's will that this takes place, for them to be taken over by this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, who's this powerful king of Babylon, and that Babylon will succeed and that Judah will be given to them. The land that God had given them, that they'd been brought into from exile out of Egypt, was about to be taken away again, and the people were going to be taken back out into exile in Babylon. But even then, even in that moment where they get told you're completely useless, this is what's going to happen as a result of your sin and as a, as a result of you following other gods, false prophets come along and tell them that God won't let it happen, that they won't suffer, and that even if Babylon does destroy them, it'll only last a couple of years and they'll be back. It's going to be a bit of light exile, nothing to worry about, a couple of years, and then you're going to be back, and so there's nothing to worry about. And guess what? The people don't listen to Jeremiah. The people would rather hear what they're being told by these false prophets than what they're being told by Jeremiah. And it's not like it was easy for Jeremiah. You've got to remember that 
the prophecies that he's given, they're not exactly making him popular. If you walk around calling people completely useless, it tends not to endear you to people. He's not a popular guy for what he says. Life was hard for him, and he was regularly beaten and imprisoned, and one time even thrown into a sewer. Like, things are not going well because he's being faithful and saying what he's saying, but the people don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear what he's got to say. It's much easier to listen to the people who are saying the good things rather than the true things. They didn't want to accept what their own sin and what their own wrongdoing had led to. It was much easier to hear from people that told them it would all be okay. Don't worry about any of that famine and sword. That's not going to happen. And even if it does, a couple of years are not even worth worrying about. Don't worry about it. But here's what God has to say about that. And for that, we're going to flip back to Jeremiah 14. Jeremiah 14, verse 13 says, But I said, Alas, sovereign Lord, the prophets keep telling them you will not see sword or suffer famine. Indeed, I will give you lasting peace in this place. That's what these guys are saying. And the Lord said to me, These prophets, these guys are prophesying lies in my name. I've not sent them or appointed them or spoken to them. They're prophesying to you false visions and divinations and idolatries and delusions of their own mind. So even God's saying, These guys aren't telling you what's really going on. The people are worshipping false gods and listening to false prophets. They've set up idols to all of the gods of the people around them. They've broken their covenant with God, and they're only listening to people who are telling them what they want to hear. In other words, they're not listening to the rules and the laws. They're just doing what they want and hoping that it'll all be okay. And that's where this week's news has actually been quite helpful for me, because we've been given other examples of people who have not particularly listened to laws or listened to rules and have thought that it'll all be okay. There's a couple behind me there. So the Sue Gray report comes out that finds that the Conservative Party actually was partying and did meet and there were gatherings and fines were handed out. And even one of Boris Johnson's principal private secretaries said, uh, well, it's good that they're focusing on this story rather than focusing on our drinks, which we seem to have got away with. We seem to have got away with all that. Don't worry about it. That's uh, no problem for us. It's almost laughable now in the wake of the Sue Gray report and all of the fines that were dished out that there was a time where it was genuinely thought that actually we can, we can still party, we, can, we don't have to worry about all that, we're special, we're different, we don't need to listen to any of that. And actually I think it speaks quite clearly about the human condition and how we can convince ourselves so often that actually it's not too bad, the thing that we've done is, is it's going to be okay, it's not, you know, we can listen to our friends all say, oh, it'll be all right, don't worry about it, we seem to have got away with it. There's nothing to worry about. We don't need to listen to the laws and the warnings. We'll be fine. When I was at school, like all schoolboys, when you reach the age of kind of 13, 14, 15, you start realizing your strength and you get a little bit boisterous and you kind of like to play fight because that's what lads do when they're growing up and they're realizing their own strength. And normally we'd do this out in the playground where nobody would really see us or spot us and we could, you know, uh, we could do it to our heart's content until it rained one day. And so we were playing indoors instead and things were getting a bit boisterous and one thing led to another and everybody was kind of trying to show their strength. And then, I'm not going to say who it was, but we, we happened to go straight through the drywall in the classroom. And there was a massive, great big hole in the classroom because we'd been play fighting and we'd been boisterous. And so 14 years old, we're looking at this bit of drywall and thinking, oh, this, is a, this might actually be a bit, bit of a problem. We might actually be in trouble for this. What are we going to do about it? Because I mean, we don't want to get caught. We don't want to get told off. That, you know. um, so we had the bright idea. Well, we'll get a stack of chairs. Just hide the hole with some chairs. Problem's gone away. Step back and look. I can't see it, can you? I can't even see it. Problem solved. We're not going to get caught. Everything's fine again, guys. Back to the play fight. Off we went. Obviously, uh, though, 
our 14-year-old selves thought it was the perfect crime, we were immediately caught and rightfully punished for what we'd done. It was stupid to think that we'd have got away with it in the first place. A little bit like one of my favorite parenting moments when our kids, our older two, were about two and four years old. And I was minding my own business, walking about the house one day, and I walk into the living room, and both of them went, nothing? (laughs) Oh, well, what do you mean nothing? I mean, I'm suspicious now. Something's gone on here. I just don't know what it is. You see, we love to think that we can get away with it. We love that attitude in us of, oh, we can just hide that hole and we won't get told off. It'll all be fine. Nothing, nothing's happening here. Don't worry about it. No sins going on here. But here's what God says about this kind of thinking in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17 verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Or Jeremiah 23 verse 24, which says this, who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. Do not I fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. The Lord sees the hole in the drywall, my friends. That's what's being said here. And actually, There's a real warning for us throughout this book that we can't pay lip service to God and then go about doing what we want the rest of the time, thinking that we won't get caught. We can't do temples on the Sabbath and then worship the other gods around us the rest of the week and assume that it's all going to be okay. It probably won't be that bad. We probably won't even get caught. This is a non-story. And actually, as you read through the book of Jeremiah, one really clear theme that comes out is that even, even we can be caught by listening to what our ears want to hear rather than what God's actually saying to us. We can't hide our wrongdoing from God. It's farcical to think that we can. He searches the heart. He knows what's going on anyway. And so to do so is as farcical as texting your mates to say, we've got away with it. Hiding holes in the drywall. God sees the heart and he knows our true motives and he knows what our hearts are really following. And that's a really stark warning that they're given in Judah and it's a really stark warning for us this morning as well. Peter Lightheart, who wrote the book A House for My Name that this preaching series is based on, he said, for Jeremiah, falsehood is the sin from which all other sins arise. Lies are an acid that corrodes Judah and makes it impossible for the people to live together in peace. And because falsehood prevails, trust goes out the window. Jerusalem's dissolving because of the acid of falsehood. Falsehood also destroys worship. So Jeremiah attacks false gods as much as he attacks false prophets. They, can say they, they say they can save, but they cannot. It's no different for us. You see, we need to stop worshipping false gods and listening to false prophets. For us, the gods might not be bronze statues, and the false prophets might not say they come in the name of the Lord. But actually, it might be just poor counsel that we're getting. It might be that our money, our bank balance, are the false gods of our time, the things that actually we put our trust in more than God. It might be sex or our own desires, our own comfort that we prefer above ourselves. Might be our power, the need for power, our own reputation, in it for ourselves, our own renown instead of God's. And what I want you to hear this morning is that we can't listen to our own desires. We can't only accept the things that our own ears want to hear. This morning's a call for us to follow God and, and not ourselves, and for us to take it seriously. And all those things that we put our trust in can be gone in a moment. Money comes and goes, reputation comes and goes, things are here today and gone tomorrow. We actually have seen that as we've been watching the news unfold in Ukraine. These beautiful, big, 
buildings that just look immovable were just laying to the ground in a matter of weeks. Actually, things can change. The things that we can put our trust in that seem so immovable and sure and steady, our jobs that will always be there to give us safety, our bank balance that will always stay nice and topped up. Actually, there's no guarantees that any of that will save us. Those things that seem so stable can turn to ruin, and we can act arrogantly and party like we'll never get caught and not worry about it, but God knows the heart. And so at the end of Jeremiah, we're told that Judah's taken into captivity in Babylon. Jeremiah 52, so Judah went into captivity away from her land. That which Jeremiah was prophesying came to be true, and Jeremiah saw it become a reality with his own eyes. Judah was handed over to the sins that they were committing. Now, it wasn't, like I said at the beginning, my intention just to put everybody into a massive downer and send you out the doors, have a good week, hope that blessed you. Uh, actually, you can read through big passages like Jeremiah and think, well, what's going on here? And when you read these big, tricky passages, a good question to always ask yourself is, where is the hope? Because we believe that our God is a God of hope. And so when you're reading your Bible passages and you don't see any hope, it's always a good exercise to look, well, where's the hope here? Where's the hope in this story? And I said at the very beginning of my message that actually, if we read this right, then this, I do believe, is a story of hope for us as well. And for the people of Judah, in spite of all that they'd done wrong, all of the warnings, their own downfall, the fact that they were going to be given over into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, God still hadn't totally rejected them. And to help see that, I want us to fast forward a little bit more into Jeremiah. We're going to be into Jeremiah 31 now. And Jeremiah 30 to 33 actually covers this, this thematic period of, um, of Jeremiah's um, giving hope to the people of Judah for what God might do next. And we're going to read from Jeremiah 31 just to um, give us uh, an example of that. So Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 33, says this. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor to, or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. This is what the Lord says, he who appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and stars to shine by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord Almighty is his name. Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. This is what the Lord says. Only if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below be searched out, will I reject all the descendants of Israel because of all they've done, declares the Lord. Isn't that hopeful in the midst of this utter moment of disaster? Where's the hope? Well, we see it here. God, God's plans and purposes always come to be. And even after all they've done, God is not done with his people. In a book full of warnings where the story leads God to raise up Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon to take Judah and lead its people back into exile, God still has a plan to build and establish his house forever with his people set apart to live with him in it. God still has a plan to bring about forgiveness and restoration and to write his words on the heart of the people. Isn't that good? Again, if you flick your page over to Jeremiah 33, we read starting in verse 6, I will heal my people and I will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. 
I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity and will rebuild them as they were before. I'll cleanse them from all the sin they've committed against me and I will forgive all of their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renown and joy and praise and honor. Remember, Jeremiah 13, they were being handed over to their sin because they weren't bringing God renown and praise and honor. And here in Jeremiah 33, we're being told, a time will come again where you will bring me renown and praise and honor before all the nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. They, uh, will prov- they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. It's so amazing to see, I want you to see that mirrored language there. In Jeremiah 30, 13, we read that they're supposed to be a people made to bring God renown and praise and honor, and they weren't doing it, and they were being handed over to their own sin because they weren't doing it. But such is the mercy and justice of God that a time's going to come again for Judah and for Israel where the city will be filled with people giving renown and praise and honor to God. It's so helpful to see that mirrored language. They were being given over to their sin for not honoring and praising, but God was going to bring out about a plan to restore honor and praise to his name again. Nothing can stop the Lord. And I want you to see that. That's where the hope is. Our God's plans and purposes always come to be. In God, there's always hope. God is a God of justice and a God who cannot be in the presence of sin. So the God of justice needs to bring about justice for wrongdoing, for sin that's been committed. God brought his justice where kings and the people wouldn't listen. We get told time and time again they're not listened, so God steps in and brings justice. When they wouldn't remember him, when they wouldn't worship him, where they'd compromised and worshiped gods around them, they were handed over to it. Again, Peter Lightheart says, if the kings don't act justly, the Lord will do justice himself. And so justice was done. And after justice has been done, we're told that restoration will come. God won't forget his people, and he's always making a way for them to be his people. In other words, Judah needed to die, and after death comes resurrection. And when we're reading this, we should hear those echoes of a death and resurrection to come to bring this about permanently as well. Because we, Gateway Church, the real hope that we have is that we know that this justice has been served and that sin has been paid through Jesus. God's rescue plan to gather a people for himself, to bring him renown and honor and praise, means that he sends his son Jesus to live a righteous life and die a death that we deserve for all the things that we've done wrong and not for anything that he has done wrong. Taking the sins of the world, all the wrongdoing, past and present and future, to pay the price and bring justice for sins committed so that we can be seen as righteous in God's sight. And then after death comes resurrection, breaking the power of sin and death so that we might be free to be in relationship with him, to know him and to love him and to bring him renown and praise and honor and receive his gifts and blessing. Death and resurrection bring justice and restoration for us to be in restored relationship with God forever. So when we read through Jeremiah and we see what's happening here, where's the hope? Well, Actually, Judah had to die, but after death comes this resurrection, and it paints this beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us. And we, Gateway Church, are called to live in the fullness of that, bringing God renown and honor and praise and making his name known and living lives for him. And as you know, we believe, if you've been here uh, over the last few weeks, you'll know this, we believe that God's spoken to us as a church through a number of really helpful and shaping prophetic words about life at Gateway Church. And if you were here a few weeks ago, you'll know there's lots of P's to remember as a part of that uh, prophecy. Specifically, I want to talk to you for a moment about the P, prepare and port and pregnancy, as well as the words root and fruit. <clears throat> so we had a good friend of ours, Ryan Termasusen, come across from South Africa. He spoke here a few weeks ago, and he sat with a few of us as leaders. And 
he was talking to us about the building project that we've got going on at Alder Road, and he gave us this challenge. Are we preparing a building for the people, or are we preparing a people for the mission that the building will facilitate? There was this real sense for us in preparing that we're not to just rest on the fact that there's some bricks and mortars and steel going up. Because as we're being told in Jeremiah, those things can get torn down anyway. But actually, it's for us as a people to prepare ourselves for what we feel God has called us to. Week after that, Ben Whitaker came from Adelaide in Australia <coughs> to speak to us. And he said that he'd heard God say that we would be a port to give safe passage to people as we see unsaved coming in. He also had this word pregnancy, that we're to be ready for the reproductive power of what Jesus does in his church as we prepare for rebirth and growth. And we want to take hold of these things. We want to believe that that's what God has got for us. When speaking about Hezekiah a couple of weeks ago, Matt reminded us of the words that God gave him for Gateway, that we should root down and fruit up. We should root down into the things of God, root out sin so that we can bear fruit for him. And we want to take hold of these things, and we want to move into the fullness of them, but we need to prepare for that. And that's not just for us as elders to take hold of and prepare for it. It's not just for the few people who feel like it might be for them, but actually for us to move into the fullness of what we feel God has called us to, the mission that he's got for us in Poole and Bournemouth and beyond. We need to take hold of this collectively together. We want to prepare for what God's got in store for us next. And that means taking sin seriously, heeding warnings like those in Jeremiah, not following our own desires and compromising in our lives, but coming to Jesus and laying down all we've done wrong, asking for forgiveness, and believing that Jesus' sacrifice has brought justice to free us from sin. Remember, God knows our hearts already. He already knows everything we've done, everything we're thinking, everything that is taking root in our heart that's not of him. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you've just, you've just turned up, then you are most welcome And I hope you found it really interesting as I have explained what we feel God's calling us to and how Jesus is at the center of all that we believe. What I've said this morning to Gateway Church can be true for you as well. If you're feeling broken, if you're feeling down and out, if you're feeling like you're not good enough, I'm going to let you in on a big secret. None of us are. None of us are good enough. But thanks to Jesus, we become good enough because of what he's done, not what we've done. So you can be welcomed into God's family this morning by believing that Jesus is who he says he is, that his death and resurrection was for you as much as it is for us, and so that you can be seen as right before God as well. And I'd love to talk to you more about that if you want to know more about what we believe as Christians and what it might mean for you. It would be my absolute pleasure. And if you are a Christian here this morning, if you're a member of Gateway Church, I want to bring a challenge to us that it's time for us to prepare to take those words seriously. We want to move into the fullness of all that God's got for us, and we're so delighted that we're going to have a building that's going to help to facilitate that, but it's not about the building. It's about us preparing ourselves for the mission that God has called us to and to be a people who are uh, on a mission to to help uh, his plans and purposes come to pass where we are. And for that to happen this morning, I actually want to bring us to a place of repentance if there's anything in us that needs rooting out so that we can be more fruitful for God. Today, there's time and space for you to come to Jesus and to open your heart to him, because remember, he knows it anyway, and to say sorry for times where you've chosen sin instead of God, asking for forgiveness for the things that have done wrong, the times you've chosen what's easy instead of what's right, listening to the things that are easier to hear than the things that are right to hear. Ask God to root out the sin in your life and your heart, so that you can be fruitful for him and everything that he's called you to and everything that he's called us to.
And once we've done that, once we've come to a place of repentance, what we need to do is live in the righteousness that's been bought for us by Jesus. Choose God and not sin. And then we're going to give God renown and praise and honor for what he's done for us. We want to take hold of all that we believe God has for us as a church, all those prophecies that have been given to us to drive us on to bring God's kingdom to where we live. So I want to challenge us to prepare ourselves, prepare our hearts, that we might be the people that God uses for his plans and purposes in this generation. That's exciting, isn't it? I'd love for us to stand. The band are going to come back up. And by way of response, I'd love for us to take communion together. Communion's a moment where we come to remember that Jesus' body was broken and his blood was shed to pay the price for our sin and to bring us into freedom. Taking communion is a moment of celebration where we can celebrate all that Jesus has done for us, but it's also a moment that we should approach uh, with uh, an open heart. It's a moment where we can come and repent to ask God to root out anything that's not of him. It's a time to ask for forgiveness and believe in the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. So as we come back and worship, now's the time for us to do business with God. To tell him to open your heart because he knows it anyway and to root out anything there that's not of him so that you can be more fruitful for his plans and purposes in your life. So why don't you just take a moment between you and God, ask him, Lord, forgive me. Lord, know me. Lord, encourage me. Lord, excite me for your plans and purposes. And then when you're ready, come and take communion. Come and take the bread, the body that was broken for you, the wine, the blood that was shed. Eat and drink and know that your sins have been forgiven. And then once we've done that, we're going to worship and we're going to bring God renown and praise and honour for all that he's done for us. So let me pray for us. Lord, I want to thank you for all that you have called us to, that we get to play our part in your great rescue story for this place, for this world, for Paul and Bournemouth and the places that you have called us to be. Lord, I thank you for the encouragement and the hope that we read in your word, that your plans and your purposes always come to pass, that you are a God of justice and you bring justice, but then you bring resurrection and restoration. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to do that for us permanently, that his body was broken, his blood was shed, that we might be free, seen as righteous in your eyes, to have relationship with you, Lord, we want to take these words seriously. We want to be a people that are living all in for you. I pray root out anything in our hearts that's not of you. We're sorry, Lord, for the times where we've chosen other things and not you. But Lord, lead us into your plans and purposes with Jesus at the center. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to come back and worship. Please do take your time, and then whenever you're ready, do come and take communion.